live from WNUR News. I'm Zach McCrary. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1, Evanston, Chicago. It's Wednesday, January 19th, 2022. Tonight on WNUR News, in-person classes resume as some students push back. Stuco puts on an electric staging of Percy Jackson and the impact and meaning of Euphoria's makeup. Those stories and more coming up now. Thanks for tuning in to WNUR News. It's our first show of winter quarter and the new year, so we'd like to welcome back all of our wonderful listeners. Our first story tonight, students returned to in-person classes yesterday, but not everyone is comfortable with the move. Reporter Alex Harrison details the campus COVID situation after Wildcat Wellness and speaks to student senators and activists who are advocating for a return to online classes. Midst of a nationwide surge in COVID-19 cases due to the Omicron variant, Northwestern University announced that the first two weeks of winter quarter 2022 would be held virtually as campus entered a period of, quote, Wildcat Wellness. Now, in week three, Wildcat Wellness is over and in-person classes have resumed in full. Yet many students remain skeptical of whether campus is safe enough for such a return, and some are beginning to take action. I would say I'm not surprised by how the university is dealing with everything, but I'm also not looking forward to in-person classes. I think it'll mess with my ability to like participate or focus in class because I'll just be thinking so much about like how we are all so close to each other. Initial COVID testing data published weekly on the university's website did little to dispel concerns. Between December 31st and January 6th, Northwestern reported 909 new positive cases of COVID-19 followed by another 686 new cases between January 7th and January 13th. Despite this, Vice President of Operations Luke Figora announced in a campus-wide email on January 14th that, quote, we are ready to resume in-person classes and activities January 18th. So what has the return to in-person looked like? For starters, Figora stated in the same email that all students are required to complete an on-campus COVID test during week three after which both the Evanston and Chicago testing sites will return to the regular hours of 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., Monday through Friday. The university has also distributed some KN95 masks, albeit in limited numbers. Students living on campus were reportedly given only two of these masks at the start of the quarter, with no plans to distribute any to students living off campus. The largest change, of course, was in class modality. Faculty teaching in-person courses can only hold 10% of their remaining class sessions remotely without special permission, and they are not permitted to grant remote access to individual students, including those who test positive or are otherwise in isolation or quarantine. Bean and sophomore Olivia Pierce said that providing a virtual alternative would make the return to in-person classes much safer, and that the restrictions on such alternatives is dangerous to vulnerable students. I think that it would make the most sense to have like virtual options and in-person options, especially for people who are immunocompromised. Like we should never be told that we have to decide between personal health and safety and education, um, especially when like it's Northwestern has the money and the resources to be able to provide more than one option. On Wednesday, January 19th, in response to a request for comment, Northwestern's Assistant Vice President of Communications, John Yates, told WNUR News, quote, We are not encouraging hybrid instruction, but the university does not prohibit faculty from offering hybrid courses should they wish to. And, quote, We will continue to monitor campus developments closely and adjust accordingly based on what we are seeing. End quote. 
Some students are now advocating for changes to the in-person return plan, aiming to reduce both COVID risk and academic stress. The Associated Student Government Senate will vote Wednesday on a resolution that calls on Northwestern to require all professors to provide virtual alternatives, excuse absences from positive test results or exposure, and publish clear COVID absence policies in their class syllabi. SESB sophomore and Hillel Senator Dahlia Siegel-Miller co-authored the resolution and said that clarity around absence policies is especially important for students due to the often lengthy periods of time required to recover after infection or isolate after exposure. Speaking from my own personal experience, I think it's really stressful to enter a class and not really know what happens if I'm absent for 10 days. So it's really important in a time when everybody is so stressed and so overwhelmed with everything that it's just as transparent as possible. Everyone sort of knows what they're getting into. Beyond ASG, though, an independent student petition is making the rounds on social media, garnering around 1,500 signatures from mostly undergraduate and graduate students. The petition demands that virtual classes be extended until the university provides a virtual option for all classes, distributes more KN95s and take-home rapid tests to all students, faculty, and staff, and on-campus positive test results diminish enough that students placed in quarantine housing at 1835 Hinman are no longer assigned roommates. Weinberg fourth-year Corbin Treadwell co-authored the petition, and they drew from ongoing student movements elsewhere demanding greater COVID protocols from their schools. It was largely inspired by younger organizers that are doing some of the same work in Chicago public schools and in other um, school districts across the country. And so we kind of followed what already existed, and we were like, I think we could do this. After the petition launched, some student activist groups such as NU Community Not Cops and Northwestern Graduate Workers shared it on social media, spreading it to more campus community members over the weekend. Pierce signed the petition and said she believes the plan it outlines provides the best solution for keeping all students both healthy and engaged with their coursework. Student presence is obviously most important for in-person classes. Um, so I don't know how that's gonna go with the coming week, but I do know a lot of people are nervous about attending in-person classes. And if people were to not attend, then it would honestly probably be safer for like the faculty who don't have a choice as well as the people who do wanna go. So that's why I feel like hybrid, honestly, is the best option because then it is safer for people who want to go back in person. And we've obviously proven that we can have virtual classes and survive because we've been doing it for a year now. On Monday, January 17th, while classes were called off for Martin Luther King Jr. Day, NUCNC posted to Twitter calling for a student walkout and strike of in-person classes, saying, quote, the demands of the petition signed by 1,500 students, faculty, and staff have not been met or acknowledged. Organizers held an open community space on Zoom Tuesday afternoon where students shared their experiences and anxieties with Wildcat Wellness and the return to in-person. Treadwell said they recognize the pressure and risks facing faculty as well, and that they hope students and faculty can work together to make conditions safer for both groups. There's so many people, like there's teachers saying, I have to do physical or in-person classes because that's what they're requiring of me but they're gonna have so many students already out with COVID and more and more new students striking, they're gonna re reach a point where school becomes so disrupted that it can't function. And I, my hope would be that the relationship between students and faculty is just strengthened. You know, I think that the next solution would be to um, really include teachers in the disruption. Yates's response for comment included a letter from Provost Kathleen Haggerty responding to the student petition. In it, she writes, quote, Northwestern's COVID-19 case numbers and test positivity rates 
are declining as anticipated with the completion of the Wildcat Wellness Stabilization Period, and positivity rates among asymptomatic individuals remain especially low. The number of residential students in isolation housing also continues to decline. She continues, quote, We are confident in our return to in-person classes and activities at this time, given the declining case numbers, the extensive protocols we have in place, and the relative safety of our highly vaccinated campus environment. And quote, Northwestern has not seen any transmission of COVID-19 in classrooms, end quote. A link to the full letter will be posted with this story on our website, wnur.news. At time of broadcast, classes remain in person. WNUR News will continue to follow the petition and its subsequent actions as they develop. From Evanston, this is Alex Harrison, WNUR News. On to arts and entertainment. Pandemic theater is, by now, known to be even more difficult than regular theater is. But it's always a little easier when you have the gods on your side. Northwestern Student Theater Coalition's production of The Lightning Thief is forging ahead, and reporter Margot Milanowski sat down with director Emma Yarger to learn about the challenges and successes they've faced along the way. This quarter, Stuco is performing The Lightning Thief, the Percy Jackson musical. A college production is no small feat in regular circumstances, but the ongoing pandemic and highly contagious Omicron, limited space on campus for practicing, and managing a cast of 15 make this an even more impressive production than usual. Yeah, so um, it's Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief, Um, and it is um, really similar to Rick Riordan's original novel kids novel of this story and then which was adapted into a movie which got a lot of things wrong and then they did it on broadway and tried to sort of get some things right again the story follows the main character a demigod named percy on quite an adventure she travels across the u.s to try to save her mom and has a band of friends from Camp Half-Blood, where all the other demigods go, and along the way gets accused of stealing a lightning bolt, um, and ultimately saves the world. (laughs) On Wednesday, we're going to have our first in-person rehearsal. Um, And I'm really, really excited to get in person together. We're just sort of having the Zoom before on Tuesday to really you know, make our community guidelines and like safety measures as strong as possible just right because we want to be smart and put safety first, obviously. Um, But being in person is a really special thing and really important to creating um, a musical like this. And so, yeah, I think we're just going to try to do the best that we can. With a cast of 15 and amidst auditions for spring productions happening in words, Finding space to work has been a bit of a challenge for the group. We always planned to start rehearsals this week. Um, It's not really gonna mess up our rehearsal schedule at all, but it has been a little bit tricky to find rehearsal space. Finding enough space for everybody to like dance and do full choreography is a little bit hard just because you need a pretty large room. On top of that, we also want an additional room where people can be rehearsing music while other people are dancing at the same time. Finding either a room that has a piano in it, um, which not many do, and so either booking one of those rooms or being able to like have our music director bring in his keyboard has just been like a lot to coordinate and it's also um, extra busy time because spring 
auditions are happening this weekend and then spring audition callbacks will happen sort of over these next week or so. A large group production also means safety measures during the pandemic are more important than ever. Right now our plan is, is that every team member, whether that's cast or production, basically like has somebody who they can fall back on if they can't be in the room anymore. That being said, if one of us gets COVID, we're all contact traced. I think unfortunately that would put everything on hold just so that we can prioritize the safety of everybody. To ensure the success of the show and the safety of its cast and crew, the team has put together requirements that are more cautious than the university's guidelines. And we're gonna do all that we can to make sure that that doesn't happen, including testing twice a week and masking all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being cautious of what we're, how we're spending our time outside of the rehearsal room. And my plan right now is like, whoever has their own personal, like strictest ideas of what should happen, that's what everybody will be doing. For WNUR News, I'm Margo Milanowski. Looking over to oddities, Hit HBO drama Euphoria has left a cultural impact in many ways, but one you may not expect is its makeup. Reporter Allison Rauch looks at makeup's role in telling the show's story, the real-life renaissance it's causing, and how it's changing as the show premieres its second season. Starring Zendaya, it provided breakout roles for practically all other featured actors, including Sidney Sweeney, Hunter Schaefer, and Jacob Elordi. Since then, Euphoria has been praised and criticized for its discussion of heavy issues such as drug usage, promiscuity, and mental illness. But perhaps the most striking aspect of Euphoria is its style, particularly its makeup. Head makeup artist Daniela Davy has stated in interviews that the makeup is a crucial aspect of the show. Euphoria makeup, or people using makeup to express themselves, has been happening for centuries. Makeup in film and TV is usually meant to disappear, but Euphoria is taking the opposite approach. Season one was marked by glamorous, hyper-stylized makeup that was unafraid of glitter and rhinestones. So naturally, the looks began appearing on visual social platforms such as Instagram and TikTok. The term Euphoria makeup was coined to describe any sort of over-the-top, colorful makeup look. A confession, I've never seen a single episode of Euphoria until I started working on this story. But as someone who keeps up with beauty media, I saw my entire feed taken over by Euphoria makeup in 2019. Now, as the show returned for its second season on January 9th, I'm seeing a resurgence. So I sought out some genuine Euphoria viewers to see what they thought, and to tell me if I was on the right path. Carly Wittemann, a Medill sophomore and writer for Stitch magazine, noted that she's sometimes uncomfortable with themes of euphoria, but enjoys the makeup and style aspect. She says she thinks euphoria's makeup builds on evolving trends while introducing new ones. The makeup trends in season one really build off this maximalism that we've seen in fashion. And I think euphoria really opened the floodgates to maximalism in makeup. Like for instance, I bought like colored eyeliner and, and tried to do the clouds on my eyelids that Jules has in the first season. I feel like this risk to take bold makeup choices has really, really come out of euphoria. Nazizwe Umsipa, School of Calm sophomore, tended to agree. 
She, like Wittemann, disliked some of the plot and theme aspects of the show, but she had the same sort of comments on the hyper-stylized makeup. It built the visual world, right? Like in season one, like the makeup built part of the visual world of, of the show because I think so much of it is like it's hyper, hyper stylist. It's heavily stylistic, I would say. The show is very stylistic, right? Like especially like, I think the, the cool, cool, cool thing about the makeup was this like insane like rhinestones and glitter and like really pretty colors. Davy has spoken about how the looks are a collaboration between show creator Sam Levinson, the makeup team, and the actors. The makeup evolves alongside the characters, telling their stories. Specifically, there's one character, Kat, in the first season, who is sort of on this path of self-discovery. I think that's really reflected in her makeup and, like, the bold choices she starts to have. Like, last season, she was going through, like, her dominatrix era. This season, well, so far, she's supposed to be in, like, this sweet, loving relationship. So, like, yeah, her makeup's definitely more muted. But aside from Kat, it seems that all the makeup in Euphoria is becoming more muted for season two. Davy told Us Magazine that fans could expect makeup to be, quote, more refined and more subtle, end quote. Wittemann and Msipa have noticed this in the first two episodes of season two. A lot of the makeup is darker and more muted thus far, specifically with Jules' character. Her makeup in the first season was very bright. And from what we've seen in the first episode, it's a lot darker. It makes her face look a lot more angular and gaunt. And yeah, I think it is reflective of her character arc. Season two, episode one, like Maddie, she had like this killer. Like her eyeliner was so sharp. It was gorgeous. So it wasn't like maybe in season one, it would have been like that, but like also like glitter rhinestones. Season one, like established the visual world. Season two is carrying it on, but I think in a subtler way, uh, maybe giving time for more character work. Wittemann and Msipa's comments seem to reflect the praise I've read online about Euphoria makeup. But as someone clueless, I wanted to see what another outsider looking in thought. Enter Aman Dada, School of Calm sophomore. He, like me, hasn't seen the show, but finds himself intrigued by some aspects. So he gamely agreed to comment on the makeup. My, my qualification for makeup and knowledge about makeup is that I know English. I showed Dada a series of euphoria looks, mostly from season one, and had him react. And though, again, he's not knowledgeable on the topic, he was able to draw some comparisons to things he has seen, including his favorite movie. It's it's more sort of like colorful and accentuated is, I guess, the word. Sing Street is a good example, actually, of like, you know, you, you see these characters sort of evolve with their outfits and clothes. A lot of their character arc, I would say, it happens visually. And so applying that same idea to makeup and changing makeup and corresponding it to a character arc, that's a cool idea. Again, this is making me consider watching the show. <laughs> Talking to Dada was interesting, as it allowed me to reflect on the idea of maximalist euphoria makeup and how it's been used in other film and TV projects. But as I did more and more research, I too was considering watching the show. So I caved and watched the pilot. And although thematically parts were uncomfortable, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. And I found that the beauty moments, even just in the first episode, really worked alongside each character's M.O. Regardless of if the show is for you or not, Euphoria makeup is becoming more and more accessible as it moves to the forefront of social media. I think both social media and Euphoria kind of play in with one another in terms of like the chicken or the egg. I don't necessarily think like one like really exacerbated like the fashion that we see today. Yeah, I definitely don't think Euphoria would be as popular without Instagram, TikTok and other social media. And as Davy said, 
Euphoria is not claiming to be the first project to use makeup expressively, but it seems it can be credited with bringing dramatic, stylized makeup to a mainstream focus in young adult society. And whether you're a fan of the show or not, it's hard to ignore that influence. It's more rhinestones to the people, more glitter eyeliner. Video clip of Daniela Davey is from Deadline Hollywood. For WNUR News, I'm Allison Rauch. In the headlines today, the Northwestern men's basketball team faced the 8th-ranked Wisconsin Badgers at Welsh Ryan Arena last night, falling 82-76. Guard Chase Audige put up a team-high 23 points, but fell short against Wisconsin guard Jonathan Davis's 27 points. At the game, one Wisconsin fan was escorted from the arena late in the second half. WKOW reports the fan made racist gestures towards the Northwestern students section. The Badgers' official Twitter account tweeted, We are deeply disturbed by this behavior and find it abhorrent and disgusting. And later goes on to say, We denounce any acts of racism or discrimination. His actions have no place at our events. A group of concerned parents is pushing to add metal detectors to Evanston Township High School. The group, called Evanston for School Safety, presented their concerns during public comment at a recent school board meeting for Evanston Skokie School District 65. They first organized after the school's lockdown incident on December on December 16th, which lasted three hours and resulted in two recovered firearms and eight arrests. Tensions continue to build along the Ukraine-Russia border, as the Russian military's presence nears 100,000 troops. President Biden said Wednesday that he expects Russia to, quote, move in, but cautioned Russian President Vladimir Putin against a full invasion, which he said will result in more severe sanctions from the U.S. On Wall Street today, stocks slid, the Dow Jones dropping just under 340 points to 35,029, Nasdaq shrunk 167 points to 14,340. Taking a look at the weather, right now it's 16 degrees, but that wind chill makes it feel more like 2 degrees. Tonight's will be breezy and frosty, with cloudy skies. Temperatures will dip slightly tonight, a low of 9 degrees. Tomorrow will brighten up a bit with mostly sunny skies until sunset, high of 17 and a low of 9. Friday, there will be a nice crisp high of 26 and a low of 18. And that's all for the WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other stories of the day on our Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. You can also find us on our new website, WNUR.News. Our, our producer today is Alex Harrison. Our reporters are Margot Milanowski and Allison Rauch. From all of us here at WNUR News, I'm Zach McCrary. Thanks for listening. Catch our next news break this Friday, January 21st at 6 p.m. Now back to scheduled programming.